Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Cree Annotators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today I'm joined by James Spooner, the writer-creator of the High Desert Black Punk Nowhere. It's a new graphic novel out right now. It is one of Comic Book Herald's favorites of 2022. We're going to be talking about that work as well as James' career, the Afropunk movement, his punk roots, and of course everything on display here in the High Desert, which again... I cannot recommend highly enough. James, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Appreciate you being here. How long have yeah. you been working on The High Desert as a graphic novel? It, uh, I started it about five years ago in the sure. like script writing phase. That took about eight months, give or take. Um, and then the, the line work, the line work took about a year. The shading took a couple years. Um, and then there was also a year of uh, just like once it was in the publisher's hands of like editing and, you know, I had to redraw some things and, you know, all the kind of touch ups and doing the cover and all that stuff. So it's about a five year yeah. process. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And this is, you know, this is your first major graphic novel um that's out there and it's it's looking at you know a formative year basically um in high school as you sort of discover punk uh you discover sort of it as an identity all the the sort of intersection of being a black man getting into punk rock in a very white community i am obviously this is a formative experience in your life um, but were these memories all very close to the surface in terms of the specifics in them? Or like, was there a lot of work you had to do to remind yourself to bring it back to life? It's uh, a great question. I, I, uh, it, it is a memoir. It is based on my memories. It is, uh, and those memories were not hard to string together. Um, yeah. I think I started, uh, I guess, you know, in, you know, to be transparent, the book takes place over a year. These are memory. These are things that happened over a course of two years, you know? Sure. So yeah. basically when I started it, I wrote down all the things I could remember, like every little thing I could remember from eighth and ninth grade, you know? Yeah. And um, when I had it, I was like, okay, well, this is, this is a great uh, level. These are a bunch of good scenes, you know? that I can tell the story of my like first years in punk, but it felt just for like pacing, it felt better to do it over a course of one year. Yeah. But yeah, the only thing that I didn't go into it, like the only like kind of sub story that I didn't go in with was the one about uh, Jenny, the Asian girl who was into me. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I did have like the intention of writing about her, but I didn't remember that, you know, it was, it was like a week or two long, you know, romance, like yeah, yeah. middle school romances are. So um, I didn't remember very many specifics about it. Um, I had a couple of embarrassing moments that I remembered and put in the, um, in the book, but I found her on Facebook and she, um, I was like, Oh, sorry that I, if I broke your heart or anything, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and she was like, actually, I broke your heart. Like, yeah. I, like I broke up with you because my friends wouldn't allow me to, to date you. Yeah. And, um, and that really was like, oh, wow. Okay. 
like that actually works well with like the story that I'm trying to tell that works better than me being like, I, I don't even remember what it actually was, you know? That's funny. That's so. interesting. So of the, of the folks who are characters in this, you know, and are, and are your friends and your family and all that, um, you know, you mentioned reaching out to Jenny, how many, did you, did you kind of talk with all of them to get a feel for it and to get their, to gauge their comfort levels, you know, with being in a work like this, or was that just kind of on a case by case basis? I, um, I wasn't terribly concerned with like their comfort levels with the exception of my mom, because I didn't, I hadn't talked to any of them in like 30 something years. I changed all of their names. Okay. And um, I also kind of combined some people's stories. So, you know, there are people who are, who will read the book and will be like, oh, that's clearly me. But mm -hmm. that didn't, this part didn't happen, you right. know? And someone, and that, and another person will read the same character and be like, that's me. But that part didn't happen, you know, because I combined them, you know, because it's just like to do, as it is, the book is 375 pages, you know? Yeah, yeah. So if I would have taken each character as it was, the book, I, I don't know, it would have been impossible to do as a graphic novel. So I I can condensed a couple of people to make into one character, you know? Sure. So I wasn't really tripping on whether or not people would be like, you portrayed me in this way that, you know, whatever. It's, yeah. But yeah, it, that happened. That part happened to you. That part happened to the other guy. You know, we were all there. We know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it merges into one good story. No, no, that, that totally makes sense. And I think that's a lot of readers have come to expect that with memoir, right? Like there's a, there's a true history, but then there's also a narrative on display and there's a point and there's themes within that where the specifics of your high school experience isn't like, a crucial historical record <laughs> necessarily where it's got to be hundred percent authentic. You know, um, you yeah. mentioned with I mean, the exception, it, it, oh, I, go I ahead. will say that it, it is very, like all the events are, are true. There are things that happened to me, experiences that I had, and most importantly, like the, the way that I felt throughout them. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I give the disclaimer, right, right on the first kind of page that like, oh, yeah. So the timeline is crunched. Some of the characters have been uh, combined just both for flow and also just to not like put people on blast who I haven't talked to in 35 years, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. Totally. No, it makes sense. Um, you mentioned with the exception of your mom, you know, being the, the trickiest inclusion, which I think once people read this, you know, they'll definitely understand that um, your mom is white, you know, and, and you are black. And obviously there are, challenges right just in terms of under like trying to understand what you're going through why punk is so appealing to you all the things that are going on in your life and then on top of that right you have just of course you know you're a teenager <laughs> in your first year in a new school and all this stuff with the with the conversation and sort of the portrayal of your mom what did you what did you have to do like what did you have to convince yourself of to put to be that honest about it i suppose like was that how did you sell yourself on that I feel like I just don't have a problem with honesty, you know, like I don't, I, I it's sometimes it's difficult to get to, to, to find out the real truth, you know, like about when, especially when it's your, like when I'm thinking about myself and my own history and like why I did things or whatever, like 
that take that can take a long time to unravel to get to the truth, you know. Mm. But when it comes to simple facts, you know, like my mom is a white woman who's trying to raise a black kid and like despite being a good person doing her best, like it didn't always hit, you know. Yeah. Um so that's a truth that is not hard to get to, you know? And when I spoke with my mom about it, you know, she's, she's been like, yeah, you know, like I, I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't paying attention. I was wrapped up in my own life or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, again, it's like the little details. It's like, well, you know, like she'll, she'll be like, well, you know, you say that I've had two divorces, but really I only had one. And, you know, and I'm like, well, that's because you were engaged. We lived with that dude. And then uh, the wedding was called off. Yeah. I don't want, I don't feel like writing an entire page to explain that nuance when I could just say two, two marriages, two failed marriages, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so again, it's like, when people have who are who are represented in memoir have objections they're usually like to the tiniest details and not and at the sacrifice of the big story that is actually being told about them you know yeah that's funny no that makes sense except for jenny of course who was like no i broke your heart <laughs> like that's a, <laughs> that's an important distinction <laughs> so i i found it pretty fascinating like you know this is this is like your first major comics work and like you said like it's a massive graphic novel you know it's 350 plus pages um and it's fantastic like the pacing like like you have all these really just beautiful spreads of of the landscape kind of taking a break between the moments of this journey you're on you know sort of exploring your own identity but also just the roots of, of punk rock and as an ethos right it's not literally just about like hey y'all should check out minor threat it's like it's a culture and it's an ethos and it's a scene um coming into this like how did like you work as a tattoo artist like how did like does that shape your art and your your focus on art or is like kind of designing and drawing in this style sort of something you've been doing for a long time you just haven't formalized it you know i do see comics as almost like a perfect storm of all the the various mediums that i did before yeah. so um you mentioned uh afropunk so in making that documentary i learned about like uh, pacing, framing, uh, you know, I, I both shot it and directed it. So, you know, how do I want characters to be positioned within the, the frame? You know, I also, uh, I also made a narrative work, um, called white lies, black sheep. And that in that, you know, that was like a learning script writing and also like telling the DP how I wanted uh, the actors to be to framed, you know, and also directing actors and whatnot. Uh, something that is uh, a little, that's maybe a little bit unusual, but I also give credit to is DJing. And mm. you know, I DJed for 10 years and just being able to, you know, control a crowd with, um, with the musical choices again, there's like pacing, deciding like how many records should I get to bet between this song and this song, you know? Mm. And um, you, so I was able to do a lot of like storytelling. All of that came from the, from film. 
and deciding how I wanted the characters to to fit within the like the cell, you know, was a lot of what do you call almost like um, script uh, storyboarding, you know? Mm, sure. And then uh, lastly, obviously, is tattooing. You know, I've been a tattooer for 13 years. And in that time, I uh, really honed my illustration skills. Yeah. Um, but I think that because I don't come from the world of comics, I'm also not constrained by the world of comics illustration and storytelling style or whatever. So there's certain things like um, I've come to learn that in comic, it's almost like a comics no-no to like trace things. Sure, yeah. Um, but I like heavily traced everything because mm-hmm. um, I come from tattooing, and tattooing is tracing, 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 tracing. You know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like the the way that I overcame the the issue of like how do I get a character to look the same on each page is like I took thousands of pictures of real people. You know, like I cast the book. I found punk rockers that reminded me of me or other people. Yeah. I brought I brought them in. I shot thousands of pictures knowing exactly, you know, how I wanted them to be in the book because I like storyboarded it all like with, what do you call it? Like stick figures, you know? Yeah. And then used all of that as reference, you know? Even went Even went back to Apple Valley and snuck onto my old high school so that I could like take pictures of all the um, hmm. lockers and stuff, you know. Like, yeah, you know. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I remember um, Neil Adams, the great comics artist who passed away earlier this year, sadly. Um, I, I, in interviews, he would talk a lot how there is that sort of stigma about tracing in comic circles, like it's this big no-no for artists and all that stuff. Um, but but also the fact that like everyone does it, <laughs> like like you have to like how else do you learn? basically to draw like he was a big proponent of of tracing um and he's he's a giant he's an icon in the medium so yeah i think there's like there's a weird stigma about it but it's i don't know like in your case you're definitely you're talking about authenticity with character and with with how the the high school looked like it's it's a better work for it all right so we're talking about uh the design and and the art in the high desert um kind of how you developed a a unique sense of pacing um that is fascinating to me like that's something like djing a set could could transition to just kind of feeling the rhythm right and the the narrative of the story and when you need breaks and when you need to dive in um you know the other the other big piece when we're talking music we're talking djing right and we're talking the punk rock experience with comics you don't actually get the soundtrack right that's the one missing element of course of the medium is we don't actually get the sound but what you do instead is there's a lot of lyrics there's a lot of um sort of music in the background and a lot of footnotes in terms of reference points. I love this. Like, I love exploring new music all the time. Um, I am a fan of punk rock, although I definitely would not consider myself punk in the same way, right? Like, I have familiarity with Minor Threat, with Bad Brains. Um, but one of my favorite pieces of this work was, like, every time there'd be a song lyric, I'm going to cue up that song. I have actually, I took a picture of your um, your mixtapes that you have at one point, And I've been going okay. through those artists and those bands one by one. As you were re-exploring, you know, this formative punk experience, what were the bands and the songs and the, the the moments and the artists that were like the most fun for you to revisit as you did it? Um, well, first, I, I'm I'm stoked that you're like 
digging in like that. It was, it was my intention to give um, these somewhat uninitiated access to these, these artists. Um, we even made a Spotify playlist that hit, that goes in order with the book. Oh, nice. So um, I'll link to know, that. Yeah. 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 So you could even, it, and it was funny because um, I had somebody at my publisher do it and I was thinking it was just going to be all the punk stuff, but they put all the like, you know, Millie Vanilli and all the stuff that, <laughs> oh, you know, okay. yeah. And, um, and I think that, that it, you know, when you listen to it as a whole, it really does give it um, context for like, yeah. Like if the normal kids were listening to this Billy Joel song, you know, mm -hmm. like what, this is what we were listening to, you know, it, it and it, for those who don't know who like Paula Abdul or MC Scat Cat was, you know, like for <laughs> one hit wonder, yeah. like those uh, having those tracks right there, like gives a frame of reference, you know. Um, so uh, for me, you know, there were certain songs that I just knew would be I'd have to showcase in the in the book. You know, there was like wasted use, fuck authority you know, like, and just going back to what it felt like as a 13 year old and hearing that song and being like, yeah, fuck authority, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. like what 13 year old can't relate to that, you know? Right. Um, and then there were other songs that um, just fit really well with the moment, you know, like feeling like particularly sorry for myself around a girl and listening to the buscocks, you know, um, like, those songs like I just want to love her like any other what what do I get you know like those kind of things it's just like really trying to to highlight these bands and the importance of their lyrics on you know my teenage self yeah yeah was there anything that you looked at um as you kind of went back and were like I was super into blank and now I listen to them and they suck. <laughs> like, are, do you have any moments like that? <laughs> There's definitely some like unlistenable music um, yeah. or just like embarrassing, you know, like when I was, so in 1989 in Apple Valley, like I was around a lot of kids who were into um, SOD and, and MOD. Okay. And those bands, um, SOD, I remember getting like trading one of my skateboard shirts for somebody else's SOD shirt. Right. Mm. And my mom freaked out rightfully because the band is called Stormtroopers of death, which is like referencing Nazi soldiers. Yeah. And then the album is called speak English or die, you know? And like in my head, maybe because I got it from a Mexican kid, like uh -huh. I wasn't thinking how blatantly racist this is, you know? Yeah. And MOD has like songs that are just like horrifying, like just so horrifying, like the level of, um, you know, they have a song about not funding, not sending money to uh, like children aid, AIDS in uh, like organizations in Africa. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, the lyrics, <laughs> the lyrics are like, let the die hungry so i can have their land Jeez. you know and just like revisiting that and being like oh yeah like me and my friends listened to this and like didn't have any conversations about how fucked up it was yeah you know? yeah if anything it was like funny you know 
And that level, like dealing with that level of like internalized racism, where I could see something like that as being funny, just so that I would fit in with these kids. Right. You know, um, mind you, like other kids of color too, you know? So it's just like, you know, I understand that it's supposed to be satire, but that argument doesn't really hold much water when there's no satire about white people, you know? Mm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, you know, we're just gonna, we're just going to say all this racist stuff and then we're gonna say it's a joke. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. Um, so that kind of stuff was probably more um, alarming than like, oh, this band just sucks, you know? Cause there yeah. was certainly a lot of that too. You know? <laughs> That's fascinating. I mean, it definitely comes through in the work, um, that experience of sort of the racism that people tolerate, that everyone tolerates in various forms, you know, for the story in the high desert, right? Like there's literal neo-Nazis, which I think sounds potentially extreme to people who didn't have that experience. But in the narrative, it's also just like people you knew and went to school with and the drummer in your band for a bit and kind of just how you had to navigate getting through right that that teenage experience um i thought that was interesting in connection with what you just said with like you have these bands who even like the well-intentioned ones writing these like maybe anti-racist satirical songs but they're generally white punk bands and the songs get completely misinterpreted and co-opted by exactly the racist sex that they're like making fun of right like like maybe they're having a laugh but nobody knows that because, the, or at least like, you know, large groups don't know that. It just seems now like it's just a bad idea <laughs> to like, to yeah. put, I don't know, like if you're not, if you're not, I don't it know if you agree. Well. It didn't age well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It just seems like one of those things where it's like, if I have to Google whether or not, um, you know, this, like if I have to Google whether or not Manic Street Preacher's are actually <laughs> racist or something like the song maybe isn't conveying what it is meant to be. Um, yeah. yeah. Wh- I mean, there's you- a lot of examples I've been like digging into the amount of like allied uh, N bombs that are in punk songs, mm. you know, that, you know, it's like, I listened to holiday in Cambodia, like how many times in my life before sure. I realized what th- that there's like, Oh, that like there's the word is in the in the song, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. or um, same with like uh, X, their song Los Angeles, you know, and it's just like they're not the lyrics are intended to be uh, a- anti-racist and making fun of somebody who would talk like that. Right. But. Uh, yeah, it just like doesn't age well, like you guys, they're they're. I think that we've had enough conversations now that we know that like white people just shouldn't be using the, those, that word. Right. Um, but uh, I don't know what the conversation was in the early eighties, you know, but there's yeah. enough of those songs where the intention is good, but the execution like doesn't hold up, you know? Right. Unlike, right. you know, for instance, like the descendants who have songs that have words like homo and fag or whatever, 
but they're not talking about gay people. They're, they're just using that word um, as a, you know, like a put down. We can look at, we can look at that and be like, okay, well, that was the eighties. That's what people said. And um, maybe as teenagers, they didn't know any better. And as adults, they've kind of come back and being like, we don't even play that song anymore because we don't want people to use those words. Yeah, right. Whereas like in these cases, like with Christian Death, Dead Kennedys, X, Seven Seconds, like they're using, they're saying the word with the intention of pointing out racism, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, okay, great. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. Let's let's Thank let's you. not do that again. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I think I think even like it's so crazy. You mentioned Holiday in Cambodia because it's like I think that song was like in Guitar Hero, which like like yeah. obviously like that's like a that's a staple of the scene, you know. And it's like you think about the lyrical content. It's like holy shit, how did that, <laughs> how did that yeah. make it that far? I mean, and when you dig in, it's like you know, people uh, wave the wave the. Uh, like they give so much love to dead Kennedys for uh, Nazi punks fuck off. Yeah. But that song isn't even about Nazi skinheads. It's about like tough guys that they're just saying like, you guys are like tough guys who comes to shows and like beat people up or whatever. Yeah. They're yeah. like yellow was basically calling them Nazis. Cause they're acting like, you know, they're just being tough guys. Yeah. But yeah. he was actually talking to like Nazi skinheads. Right. You know, uh, neo-nazis or whatever but you know it gets reinterpreted re- reinterpreted and then then you know then it's a song like a hero you know like we paint him as a hero not that jello i don't have any problem with jello like he he's fine um but it's just interesting how like time changes lyrics you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah for sure well and i think that's probably the moral of the story is like well one like you said like stop like don't do that anymore but then two is like the literal thing you're putting on the page or in the title is how it's going to be interpreted down the road and then the people who get really into the stuff may do the research and they may do the math and they may understand the nuance um but most won't (laughs) but most will not and that's where that's where a lot of the problems arise uh you know I i thought it's cool um as you're you're talking about you know, all the, you make this all very understandable, I suppose. Um, if not, I, I don't want to pretend or feign like total understanding, you know, it's more empathy and, and trying to understand as much as I can, right. From my perspective, which is as a white guy. Um, but it's all told very, very clearly. Uh, did you have sort of a, I guess, kind of like a, a North star or like a guiding mantra as you're going through this in terms of like, kids like me, black kids who are into punk or feel like they don't fit in. These are the things that I want to share because I wish somebody had told me this when I was that age, you know, like what kind of were those things for you? Yeah. I mean, you know, I was, I was careful to not just make the Afropunk movie into a comic, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I think Afropunk movie did a very specific thing, which was like, this is what it's like to be a black person in the scene in a very general way. These are like things that we deal with. These are, you know, and I actually went out of my way to not include uh, 
like Nazi skinheads or any conversation around skinhead really um, in the movie because um, I didn't want to let the white viewers off the hook by just being like, oh, that's, you know, this racism that they're talking about must be from these extremist groups, not mm. from me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas with this book, it's very personal, you know, these are like my true life story. But I think if I had like a guiding, like a North Star, as you said, it was just to like humanize all these experiences, you know, like I had some very like embarrassing moments with internalized racism that I put on the page, you know, yeah. I, ha um, I know that, you know, I was friends with a kid who had just go back to Africa written in Sharpie marker on his refrigerator, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, what does that say about me? But also the truth is that I was friends with this kid. Right. Yeah. And in the time of our friendship, we I got to know him. I got to know what his family dynamic was. I got to understand that um, given a different set of external circumstances, he would not be racist, you mm -hmm. know. And in fact, in his day to day life, he wasn't actually racist, you know, like he. It's, it's funny, it's like he was espousing these beliefs in his dress and, you know, you know, but he's just trying to fit in with the, with the white power kids that are around him, Yeah. right? So I'm not, I'm not like giving him a pass, but I am saying that um, I, I didn't want him to just be a villain, you know? Like he's a human being who was 14 years old 15 years old, trying to figure out what was right. And, um, and in having these close friendships with two kids of color, he, um, he had to face his own demons about like, how can I say that I'm racist and want to be down with these like Nazi guys, the Aryan youth or whatever. Yeah. But also have these two close friends of color. Right. I need to choose. You know what I'm saying? Um, and ultimately, his friendships mattered more, you know? Yeah. So I, I want it. So, I, you know, in all of these cases, all of the characters, most of the characters, like, I wanted you to get to know what their experiences were that brought them to this place. You know, it's like, we have this girl sin that seems like a bad girl. Like he, people are calling her a slut. She's already been in rehab and she's in middle school. Like there's all of these kind of like um, opinions that we would formulate about her based on her, you know, the information that we have, you know, but, but then we learn about her life, her, uh, you know, some of the, her, her struggles and and ultimately have empathy for her and her situation. And I kind of wanted that to be the case for all the characters. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think the work definitely succeeds at that. Um, some more than others, certainly, right? Like there are villains in the story. Um, but like you said, like there's, especially for like, yeah, especially for certain characters, there's just, there's a human understanding of, well, at least I can see why they'd be doing that. Yeah, um, I mean, even even like George, who's like the the, the kind of main skinhead villain in yep. the 
in the book. Um, even him, like you get a couple of glimpses that like, oh, he had a crush on um, Ty, the black, uh, my black friend's older sister, right. you know, and she shot him down. And maybe that like led to some of his, you know, hatred for black people in general. You know, it's like, again, it's not excuses, but it's like, oh, I, I, I understand where this comes from. So now I can like, I think if you start, to, if you can see people as human, then you can empathize with them and you can, and when you have empathy, then you can like, then, then real healing can begin, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so even with the, the villains, um, I wanted you to have like some understanding. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the work is, is, is pretty good at that. Um, it, I see on your, on your book tour that you got coming up. So like high deserts out there, people are starting to, to become aware of this and celebrate it. Hopefully this, you know, we'll put this out there. And I'm, like I said, CBH is going to be recommending it. Um, I see you got some really cool, like conversations coming up with some awesome, a lot of people, but of comics authors like David F. Walker. Uh, I see Ben Passmore, Ronald Wimberly, um, some others as well. Did you connect with any like comics folks in the community while you were working on this, like for advice and what kind of like feedback did you get? Yeah, I did. Um, so like, as you said, this is my very first uh, book. This is my, not only my first published thing, but it's really the first thing that I've done um, in comics. And uh, so I really didn't know, you know, over this five year period, it's just been like the learning process. I, I would go to local uh, art, like cons or comics arts fairs, zine fairs and like, meet people you know yeah. and I think there was a certain level of like um entree that I had because of Afropunk so there's just like black artists like Ron Ron Wimberly who like went to Afropunk early Afropunk events mm. um, so he was like oh yeah like I remember you blah 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 you know like so it was it wasn't like he was really uh gracious with his time or whatever you know yeah um, i made a i met a couple of i met this dude um ezra clayton daniels yeah who uh bottom feeders it's a great one yeah yeah so he did bottom feeders um and uh i met him at a zine fair and you know just i guess on some like light skin black dudes junk like you know mi mixed guy shit we like started rapping and then uh he introduced me to Ben Passmore, who he did that project with. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I guess I'm not, I'm not necessarily afraid to just like write, write somebody and be like, Hey, like, this is what I'm doing. What do you think? Um, you know, but most of, I think most of it was like, most of the advice I got was public, like publishing stuff, you know, how do I, like get an agent how do i oh, okay. get you know like that kind of stuff not so much like yeah how's the game like, played how do i sequent tell this sequential story like that part i i feel like i understood because of film um and you know and not to like toot my own horn or anything but i feel like uh it's more successful than a lot of comics that i that i read because um, there's like, I feel like the pacing is too quick in a lot of 
a lot of comics or maybe it's just mm. like a page thing. They have to tell a whole story in 16 pages or something. Yeah. Um, right. But, you know, I'm, I'm often left like, really, that was it? You know, mm. like, where's the meat? You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. More, right? um, so. Uh, but, you know, when it came to like. You know, how do I get a, a publisher, you know? Is, is which which publisher is right for me do I go small do I go big like what's the pros and cons like those guys were all really um helpful nice. you know did and you Ezra have any was, like, always like really like this is how much money I made like this is how much Fanographics paid me this is how much line for Forge for mm -hmm. paid me you know like very open it's good so, to have yeah yeah so then at least I know can make an informed decision and not just be like out there not knowing you know right right did you get did you have a a hard time getting in the door you know with an unpublished work and a, and a pitch at all or was it like did that part actually go pretty smoothly no i mean so initially i had uh i reached out to a litter like a, a lit a lit agent and um i reached i reached out to three that were just suggested to me from people who i know had been published you know um and they were all published in the literary world so uh I wrote to all of them. I got, I had meetings with all of them. All the agents were interested. They all had kind of the same thing to say. So I went with the black one just because I figured it was like one less, one less thing to explain or something, you know? Yeah. Um, she is, is a great agent, but she's mostly connected in the YA world. Mm -hmm. So she was really trying to push it as like a YA book. Yeah. And because it because it takes place in middle school, a lot of the publishers were excited about it, hoping that it was a middle grade book. Uh -huh. You know, uh -huh. this book is not a middle grade book. <laughs> it's really <you> know? not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so because it, because that's the case, um, I got a lot of rejections, you mm -hmm. know, probably got 20 or 30. I mean, I. I didn't even count, but it's just definitely a lot of them. You know, I got some good notes, you know, I learned along the way, but, and I was submitting with only 10 pages illustrated in the script. So after getting all those rejections and realizing that this agent was probably not the right agent for me, um, it took a little while for me to like get the courage to like, let her go. Yeah. But once, once I did that, I just worked on the book like super hard it was like during the pandemic I didn't have to tattoo like I just grinded and when it was like when when the George Floyd start uh riots and uprisings started happening and the um you know all the like ridiculous like the corporations were doing all these ridiculous things like we're not gonna have Aunt Jemima anymore like you know like <laughs> yeah. you know like you know we're gonna you know, we stand with black people says DuPont or whatever, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, right. um, I was like, this might be a good time to like, go out and try to get published again, you know, mm. because people care about black people right now. <laughs> so I had a good chunk of the book done. And I put together another proposal. I this time I was like, I'm going to find a punk agent, like somebody who understands about punk, like mm. that is more important than the because they need to know how to sell punk to the mainstream not sell black to the mainstream you know what i'm saying interesting yeah so i ended up with uh this guy uh 
PJ, who uh, is at uh, Janklo Nesbitt. Um, so I ended up with PJ at Janklo Nesbitt. And that was because I read an interview with him where he talked about being a punk kid, you know, and uh, in Arizona in the 80s or something. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know and I, get it. Yeah. I wrote to him and he totally got it and he was like I know how to sell this he sent it out to 10 people um three of them came back there was an auction and then it, it went so that was it was like with that was a brief it just went boop, boop, boop. I was like oh great got a deal <laughs> that's interesting yeah um yeah so I don't know if that was an interesting story but that's how it happened <laughs> yeah yeah no it's I always find the inside baseball fascinating about how these things get get landed and all that stuff and it, it's funny too because like right in comics right now like the young the young readers the middle age stuff like that's huge like that's that's probably the biggest market so yeah. i can see how when you just kind of put on paper like yeah it's like a story about you know uh junior high into, into high school um you know young young guy finding himself like you can see how they'd want to move it that direction um, yeah i mean everybody is looking for the next uh you know smile and yeah 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 drama and all that stuff and it's like I mean those those books are great like when when my daughter was younger she loved that stuff it was fun to read you know like definitely no shade in there it's it's great and it's opened the doors for so many other comics creators um in in mainstream publishing yeah so um it's great but like you know my story has like drugs and sex and you know suicide and all kinds of stuff that like just uh doesn't fit in with what you want like nine-year-olds to read (laughs) (laughs) yeah right right yeah no it's just not not in that mode um which is which is fine uh okay so so all that is interesting i think um what's it been like you know on top of this so you got the high desert out now which definitely again i recommend people check out it's fantastic um but also you know you said like with with the the George Floyd, you know, murder by the police in, in May of 2020, it looks like, I don't know if it happened before, but definitely right around there, you started rescreening Afropunk again. Um, what's it been like kind of getting back out there on the road and, and kind of like resurfacing that work in this moment? Um, like what have the, what kind of conversations you've been having with people? Like, does it feel like, does it feel like the movie's connecting differently now than it did maybe, uh, you know, almost 20 years ago? Uh, yes, but not necessarily because of George Floyd. I think um, I started screening. I had a, like a resurgence in maybe 2019 because Afropunk, the company, was going through all kinds of like public uh, embarrassment um, due to their like corporate attitudes, you know. Um, is this like the is this like the concert organ, organization? Yeah. So I mean, point, yeah. I, for those don't know who don't know, like Afropunk started off as my movie. I started just by doing screenings and and attaching bands to it, and um, and and then two years later started the festival, which was ultimately just like three uh, concerts in a weekend, right? Okay. Um, 20 years later, it's like a giant corporation that's run by the like Essence magazine billionaire. And um, it's in seven countries, three cities in the United States. Like it's, it's a huge, huge 
festival with like, you know, headliners like Jill Scott and uh, CeeLo or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't really have anything to do with punk anymore. And people were really interested in that story, you know? So that's, those were the kind of conversations that were coming out of the screenings, which were just like, how did it go from this to that? Okay, yeah. Um, So I've kind of put together a slideshow that uh, explains that, like, you know, the trajectory, why I left, how it, you know, became what it was, and then also what the reaction from the underground has been. Um, So uh, that's been a lot of fun, you know, and it is introducing it to a whole new generation. Um, And for better or worse, I, it, the the movie still like resonates with people. So, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's. I mean, well, it, why do you say for worse? <laughs> what would be the well downside? for worse is because like I wish that these weren't issues that we were still dealing with. I see. Yeah. You know. Okay. But you know, it's like here I am in 2003 making a movie that's like you know, largely uh, talking about how difficult it is to be a black person or a person of color in this like primarily white community. And uh, 20 years later, kids are still like, yeah, that totally resonates with me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, for what it's worth, when I was making the movie, I was was in this public editing bay and um, I felt this like, presence behind me um while I was and she, she was watching the movie and I turned around and it was was Kathleen Cleaver hmm. um the Black Panther Party and she's like are we still talking about this shit so like you yeah know, you know that movie could have been made in the 60s possibly and sure. you know the the issues that we're talking about you know haven't changed all that much you know I see. I see. Yes, that is that is bad. Yeah, it is fascinating to consider because you talk about, you know, in the in the work and also in Afropunk, like like rock being a black music, and then they're like, you know, punk being black music. And you can you can see when you put it on paper like that, and it's not something I ever had thought about. Um, but just the the sort of like the resistance to institutions, the resistance to being subjugated, you know, all these things that are inherent in a lot of punk music. And, and the way the, you know, the music is conveyed and comes across and just fast and loud and hard and heavy and wants to hit and break things, you know, right? Like just all the stuff that comes through in the music. It's not that hard to see why it would resonate yet. There is like you go through in, in this book in, in the high desert, that double consciousness experience of you standing out tremendously being a black kid with a bihawk. Um, which rules, by the way, the photo you have with the Bihawk <laughs> is, is super cool. Um, but it is just like, it's another example. And obviously now I see there are so many of these where it's like, you know, this this media or this cultural artifact that white people kind of just take and uh, and and make their, make their own, even though it was never really theirs, you know, to begin with. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that for me, like, I like to focus on this, this the scene as an as a uh, metaphor for like society at large you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i don't have i don't feel like i have a lot of control over you know the government um 
It's like I can vote or I can go to a protest, but like I do feel like I have power within the scene, you know? Yeah. And I feel like uh, if I can shed light on the issues within our community, um, it's not hard to like extrapolate that into the rest of society. Mm-hmm. And there are people within the scene who, who do have access to more um, control outside or will have access, you know? So, um, you know, I believe heavily on like focusing on, you know, focus on my community, my family, whatever, and watch the ripple effect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, what are some, what are some like punk bands that you're super excited about right now? Like what's the stuff that you're into currently that people should check out? I should always have a list like right next to me. Um, <laughs> question. Um, so I, we just had a, a gig in um, Philly. I did a, a book event there and uh, two bands, the Ire and uh, uh, material support played. And they're both great in different ways. Uh, and, Material support is like everything that I want punk rock to be, you know, they're like the music hits right. The politics are super on point. It's like uh, lyrics are, you know, pretty straightforward so people can easily understand what is being told. Like they have a song that's just called uh, Know Your Rights. And it's literally like, here's what to do if a cop comes to your door, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's like, that's useful information. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, so, you know, those bands I would definitely check out. Um, I've been listening to a lot of female um, and like uh, female fronted bands have really been like most interesting to me lately. Um, so a mill and sniffers, uh, bug in, um, who else? Uh, the bands that I just mentioned, um, I would have to like pull up my band camp to really like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's good. No, it's, it's funny. Like when I listen to, you know, I've got, I've got band camp and, and my music going all day, every day, you know, for, for eight hours. But then when people are like, what are you listening to right now? I'm like, I, I can't name anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like it's hard, point. You know, especially yeah. now that we don't have like actual records to like pull out and right, you know. right. What's in your what's in your actual like uh, you know your CD case or whatever. Um, yeah. All right, so this has been a blast, James. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, so you got the High Desert out now. Obviously, people should check it out. I think just about everybody should go check out Afropunk. I mean, it's really not super long. Like it's you know it's a bit over an hour. If you haven't seen that, it's it connect. It's a great pairing with this work, right? They're definitely two sides of the same coin uh what's what else is next for you like what do you got coming up that you want people to know about well i've got like probably 20 or more uh dates on my book tour uh through november Um, i'm doing all the major well i won't say major conventions i'm doing all the major art uh comics arts fairs you know okay spx uh I just got in, I just got the email about mice. Um, I'm doing a CXC in Columbus. Um, and, uh, but then I have a bunch of like, uh, events that I put together myself that are with 
with bands and stuff all over the country. Um, so you can just go to my website, spoonersnofun.com and uh, click the events link to see that. Um, yeah. And then beyond that, I'm just like, uh, I am working on another book. I'm not necessarily, it's not uh, out for, it's not out for submission yet. So I don't really know how much I want to talk about it, but I definitely, I'm still working. So <laughs> good. good. More, more to come. You know, without, without spoiling anything or giving away too much, do you want to stay in more memoir territory or are you looking to, to branch out and do like more fictional type stuff? Uh, I definitely have a couple more memoirs in me. Okay. So yeah, yeah that, uh, I, I have been uh, period, periodically like writing um, some TV pilots with, with some other people that are all fiction. Um, but um, yeah, I have a couple more memoirs in me that I have to get out before I can like, I don't know, at least before I die. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Looking forward to them. Okay, cool. So James, this has been awesome. Really appreciate it. Again, everybody can find links to James stuff and the high desert in the show notes. Um, of course, Dave, you can find all my stuff on comicbookherald.com as well as at comicbookherald pretty much anywhere on social. So James, thanks so much for joining. Yeah, thank you. Take care.